Amen. Thank you so much for worship team today for that ministry. Can you just thank them today? That's amazing. Do you know, the, the, the sovereignty of God, the will of God, is, a, is one of those things that has caused uh, ripples in the theological kingdom for literally for 2,000 years. And I think one of the things that we miss as believers or we misinterpret as believers is the concept of the sovereignty of God. Because God knows everything and because God is aware of everything and because God is, is there behind all things, we, you know, we tend to think when we look at what's going on in the world, God, what are you doing? And we miss the fact that God has chosen to work in his world today only, everybody say only, only in partnership with the saints. And so a lot of times we look at the world, we think it's in a mess, and we say, you know, well, why is it like that? And God looks at us and he says, that's a good question. Why is it like that, saints? Because, you know, the Bible says that the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth, he's given to who? The sons of men. That, that he has given us dominion, he's given us authority, he's given us power in this realm. And when we exercise that, it has a rippling effect throughout the globe. And when we back away from it, darkness begins to uh, overtake. But we have been given the authority to push back the veil of darkness. We've been given the authority through Jesus Christ to literally and the responsibility to change the world. We've not just been given the authority, we've been given the responsibility. And one does not come without the other. When you've been given the authority, you also have the responsibility, right? Think of it as parenting. You have the authority as a parent, but you also have the responsibility as a parent. And it's not long if you, if you neglect the responsibility before you no longer have any authority. Did you catch that? Think about it as a parent. It's not long if you neglect the responsibility before you no longer have any authority. And I believe it's the same thing with our presence here on earth. If we neglect our responsibility, we lose authority. But if we'll take up that responsibility for our communities, for our neighbors, for our friends, then God gives us an authority to be able to speak and the darkness has to uh, fade. And, and today, it's kind of what I want to talk to you about today. I want, to, I want to talk to you about what it means to be the community in the midst of a pandemic. You know, when we sat down, we decided to renew our, our, our values, not our vows, to renew our values as a church uh, this year, to take a look at them afresh. And first time we went through them was in, in 2012, and we said nearly a decade later, let's take a look at these. And and explore, you know, how we've done on them and, and, and measure our future by them as well. And look at them and say, how do we want to be known in our community as we move forward? And these 12 values that we have are, are important. And this year, we just, we kind of move the order of them around a little bit. And so 
this month uh, is we're talking about community and, uh, you know, the, the power of community. And, uh, you know, when we started the church in uh, 2000, or I should say in 1995, when we started the church, we had our, the name Desert Stream Christian Fellowship and our, our, our tagline, if you will, was a place of new beginnings. And then uh, going fast forward 2015, we decided, you know, it was time to redo our website, redo all of our, our, our branding, and we decided to restructure that. Not that it's still not a great place to start over again, amen? And uh, how many know you can always start over again, right? And so not that that isn't true, but, but we said, God, how do we express our, our calling to our community and to our neighbors uh, more effectively than just that line? So we, we came up with Desert Stream, and we said it's, it's a place to belong, to believe, and to become. And we've been working that since 2015. And we've been increasingly intentional about presenting ministry. And we're even starting an online school where we'll have belong courses, believe courses, and become courses that we are uh, working on here at the church. And what we mean by that is that Desert Stream, we have them in that order on purpose because at Desert Stream, first and foremost, we want to present to our world the and give them the invitation to belong. And we believe that's how Jesus operated. He didn't call people to have to believe in him first, but he accepted them first. Uh, from the woman at the well to Zacchaeus, it didn't matter who it was. Jesus accepted them, and, and after they knew that they belonged, they knew that they had a place in his heart, then he invited them to believe. And I believe we need to be the exact same way as the body of Christ. And when we understand belong, then we know whose we are. We're introducing people to whose they are, that we belong to God, right? Secondly, then we invite them to believe. We invite them to take the journey of belief. And in belief, we discover who God is and who we are. So first we understand whose we are, but now we understand who God is and who we are. And that's what the journey of belief is, is uncovering everything there is to understand as far as we can study and know about God and about ourselves. So dealing with our own giftings and things like that. And, uh, and we want to lay down a good foundation of, of belief. And then the third thing it, we get to is to become. And uh, we get to become all that Christ made us to be in his body. And, uh, and when we're, we become, we realize that we can't do it without each other, without being connected to other people. And so become is an invitation to walk in alignment with other people so that we become all that we're supposed to be. And that's about understanding whom God has called us to take our journey with. So belong, believe, become is also who's who and to whom. Amen? And so since we're talking this month about a community, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the first part, belong. We want to help people understand the invitation to belong. And in fact, when we did our values back in 2012, we had this value statement, belong to this community, build that community. In other words, belong to this family, to the church, and then build the community that you live in. And I would imagine most, most of you live in Battle, but you may live in Picton, you may live in, in Deserano, you may live somewhere in the area, but the focus here is to belong here, but build out there, right? Build out there. And we had as a memory verse, probably the longest memory verse of all the memory verses over the course of the 12 months. And this one for this month is Acts 2, 44 to 47. And it says, now all who believe were together and had all things in common, 
and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. Amen? And the Lord added what? Daily, daily to the church, those who were being saved. So let's talk about community. You know, I would say of all of our 12 values, the value of community is the one that's been challenged most by the pandemic. Right? It's definitely challenging to do community when you're told you can't gather together. It's difficult to do community when there are restrictions in place. I believe next week will be the anniversary Sunday of the last time we had uh, the whole church together to celebrate and worship. The only reason I remember that is because it was my birthday last year. It was March 15th, and we were, we were all gathered together for the last time. We celebrated my birthday, and then the country got locked down. I was, I was really glad that they, they waited until after my birthday, and everybody got to celebrate me. And, uh, you know, but then it was locked down afterwards. And, you know, and a whole year has went by, and none of you got your birthday celebrated like I got mine last March. Uh, but, you know, it's been a year. It's been a year. And, uh, and in that year, it's been definitely challenging for us in this community here. Uh, this morning, we're probably close to capacity of what we're permitted to have here in the building. We're permitted 30%. And, um, and it's a challenge. But I want you to think about something. It's been a challenge for our community at large as well, that community out there. If you want to have an interesting conversation, Find somebody that you know who's a first responder, works in the hospital, or somebody who's a police officer, or somebody who's dealing maybe at Grace Inn or one of the other frontline ministries and, and functions in our city. And, and find out what's, what it's like behind the veneer of just doing retail and doing things like that. The, the amount of people that are dealing with depression, the people dealing with drug addiction and alcohol addiction, the people dealing with frayed nerves and and uh, all kinds of things. And, and you know what? And in our community, we've been spared so much of the difficulty. I checked my app before I came up here today, and I think we have 19 people uh, infected in this area right now, one new case. Um, but Mark was telling me before the service that Windsor-Essex is over 3,000. And, and, you know, and, and, and they've, they, they, they have days where they have more people die in one day than we've had since... The thing started the whole year. And, and, you know, I'm not sure why we have such a, a bubble, but here's something I have been challenged by Holy Spirit uh, about is how can I rejoice over the fact that we've been spared here when other people are, are not spared? It's kind of a, a hollow thing to rejoice over my situation and, and not be moved in prayer for somebody else's difficulty in the, in the situation. And so we need to pray for this thing to be ended. Amen? And I know that there's, there's a lot of uh, problems that people have with the way it's been handled, and I'm not, I'm not here to talk politics today. If you want to have that conversation with me, we can have it later. Uh, uh, nothing excites me more than talking about politics. I, I can talk politics all day long. Uh, but, I, but I think we have to understand that, that for the most part, I believe everybody who's been trying to work us through this situation has been doing it to the best of their understanding and ability. Yeah, sure, maybe many of their decisions are rooted 
more in fear than they are in fact. And that happens when you don't know Jesus. Oh, right? That happens when you don't know the Lord. You, you're motivated by things that, that maybe you shouldn't be motivated by. But I think at the end of the day, I, I believe that, you know, as the church, ever since the lockdowns were uh, issued, um, that we as, as the body believers have to do everything we can to demonstrate the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ, our community. That should be our first objective. We can have debates about our, our rights and all those things after, after that conversation, but our first conversation should be to communicate the love of the Father to our community. Because the Bible says God is what? Love. He's loved before justice. He's loved before, you know, um, uh, faith. He's loved before hope. He's love. All of it flows out of love. And so we have to be able to do it in love. So the lockdown, you know, has been hard on, on community. Why is that? It's, it's hard on community because God made us to be social beings, right? We are social beings, it's in our DNA to congregate, to gather, to get together with people, to have conversations, to hug, to, 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 you know, joke, to laugh, to cry together. That's how God made us. And, you know, all of the lockdowns have been really hurt on that. Uh, you know, as a, a society, we have not been very social this year. You know, the roots in those two words... Uh, we haven't been much of a society because we haven't been very social. It's been very, very hard for us as a people. And we weren't meant to do life alone. Listen to God's first observation after he made man. The very first words he spoke about man that he said about man's situation was Genesis 2.18. He said, uh, it says, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So he, he creates man, he creates Adam, he's got him there in the garden, and then all of a sudden he looks and he goes, it's just not good for him to be alone. He says, I'm going to make a, a, a suitable mate for him. So there you have it in a nutshell. God says it's not good for us to be alone. And of course, from Adam and Eve, you know, humanity spread out and, and we ended up with, with villages, communities, cities. But all of that happens because we're fulfilling a mandate to go and fill the earth that is rooted in the fact that God did not create us to be alone. He created us to be together, to work together, to grow together. He created us as social beings. God connected us to each other so that we could be found in community with one another. That's how we were made. And that's why this seems so foreign to us, because it's contrary to how we were designed to live and express ourselves. We're not meant to be locked up. That's why, you know, we, that's why we incarcerate prisoners because it's, it's taking away one of the, it's denying them one of the, the freedoms, the liberties, the greatest freedom and liberty, which is the freedom of relationship, mobility, community. And that gets denied us because of our crimes, because of the things that we've done. And so we're isolated from the rest of the public. That's the punishment 
How many of you know the last year's felt like a punishment, hasn't it? And you're like, well, I don't remember doing anything wrong. Why are we, why are we getting this? And, and, and again, I, I think it's because we have to realize they're, they're trying to do the best they know how to do with a situation they've never had before. And so, um, you know, it leaves us as the church caught in the middle. We understand better than any the need to be in community, the need to be loved and to love. We understand that. We understand that. And yet we're here to help people navigate these difficult times, demonstrating as the body of Christ what it is to love and to uh, continue to love, even when there are so many barriers to living that love. Amen? John, uh, Don, he said this. He said, no man is an island. Every man is a piece of the continent. And he says, that says it so well, doesn't it? None of us was meant to live in isolation. No man is an island. Every man is a piece of the continent. That tells us two things. We're not alone and we're connected to each other in one statement. No man's an island. Every man is a piece of the continent. Every person is connected together. And so we have to understand that how we live impacts one another. And I won't go too far down this road because I think that's next week's message. But, um, you know, uh, I will have, I do have a quote that I'll probably use again next week by Cecil Marinville, and he says, put a higher value on keeping community, unity in the community of believers than on your personal opinion. And I'll share more about that next week. Uh, but that's a little warmer for you for next week, a little, little teaser. So today I wanted to revisit something I talked about a couple years ago here at the church that I think is very applicable to us today in the midst of the pandemic as we endeavor to be what Christ has called us to be together. I find it interesting that, that my focus today is on the word we, and yet the word we is in the papers all the time because of the we charity scandal, you know, and so every time I see the capital W-E, I always think, you know, uh, of that scandal, but it's in my notes today because I want to talk about we. I want to talk about us and the power of we, and uh, a couple of years ago, I talked about this, and, and so I want to revisit it today. Because I believe that if understood properly, the concept of we, the concept of us, enables us to build a pandemic-proof community, right? You know, uh, this thing could be over in a few months, but, you know, if my, my, my spidey senses are tingling correctly, I think we could be in this kind of a situation for a wee bit longer than a couple months. And uh, so we need to know how do, how do we do we uh, properly, and how do how does that help us protect and preserve the understanding of community in the midst of a pandemic? Well, the Bible says this about you: it says you're salt, light. It says your sons, daughters, disciples, saints, friends, servants, slaves, heirs, the righteousness of God. You're redeemed, the saved, born again. These are all words the Bible uses to describe you, and they're all descriptions of who I am or of who you are in Christ, by grace, through faith, right? There are three words that I left out of that description. Those three words are this. They're the body, the bride, and the church. They're all also descriptions of who we are. I am salt, I'm I'm light, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a saint, et cetera, et cetera, but I, I am not the body. I am not the bride. I am not the church. Those are powerful metaphors of us as believers 
but they are descriptions of who we are, not of who I am. You follow me? Those three metaphors cannot be applied unless they're applied to us together. They're only applied to us as a group. They're never, everybody say never, they're never applied to us as individuals in the Scripture. They're only applied to us together. I am not the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. I am not the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. I am not the church. We are the church. And if we keep these three words and the understanding of them, the deep understanding of them in Scripture, in front of us all the time, and we live uh, together, we, we live as the body, the bride, and the church, then we will build something that is not just pandemic-proof, but is future-proof for all situations that are coming toward us. Amen? Well, let's start with the church. Let's start with the church. When my kids were young, we had a lot of silly pop Christian music, and one of the ones we had was a goofy song. It was on a cassette tape. I wish I could find it now. It would be hilarious to play, but it says you can't go to church because the church is you. And, uh, you know, and, and it was kind of cute, and, and we'd get our kids singing it at nighttime and in the car, drove me nuts all over the place. And, uh, and yet, you know, I look back on that now, and it's actually poor theology. You know, it's uh, the church isn't you, the church is us, Right? It isn't you, it isn't us. And I understand what the songwriter was trying to say. They're trying to help you understand that the building isn't a church. That's correct. The building's not the church. We call this a church, but it's really not the church. We are the church. Follow me? We are the church. You know, the word church is found 107 times in the New Testament. And it's significant to note that 107 times it's used, it's never used in reference to an individual. It's not. It's always referring to a group of believers, whether that group is uh, global or whether it's local. It's never referring to an individual. Let me just read you a few of them. Uh, Acts 2.47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So he's adding to the group those who are being saved. 1 Corinthians 11.18, first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are some there are divisions among you, and he said, I believe it. In part, I believe it. So when, when you all come together as a church, the church is the group. Ephesians 1.22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 1 Timothy 3.15, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. And there are so many others, more and more scriptures, like I said, over a hundred times, and yet none of them are referring to an individual. They're always referring to us as a group. The church is not a single person, yet you know what? I get people all the time who will justify not being part of a church congregation because they'll say, I'm the church. 
Well, you know, I don't go to church anymore. I'm post-church. I don't, I don't do that anymore. I'm, you know, I realize I'm the church, uh, and I can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, by myself. Well, you might be able to have one, uh, not a very good one, but you can have one by yourself, but you're not the church. You can't use that justification. It's not scriptural. You can't say, well, I don't need to go to church because I'm the church. No, 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 no. Uh, we're the church. And there is no church without we. If it's just you, it's not church. You might be having yourself a time all by yourself, but it ain't church because we're the church. Someone say amen. You see what I'm saying? And, you know, you need to keep working at that family thing. And when you find that you can't settle into a church body, be part of a church body, it's more than likely, if you're on your fourth or fifth one, that the body's not the problem, you are. I'm just saying. Well, I just don't like, you know, what the pastor's preaching is like. I don't like, I don't like their music. I don't like the way they dress. I don't like, you know, if, if you keep coming up with that stuff, you know, one, two, three, four, five times, and you're moving from church to church, it's not the church that has the problem, it's you. Because community, community is about persevering, even though we don't necessarily like everything we see. How many of you divorced your children just because you don't like the way they dress? Well, you're not going to be my son anymore because those jeans have holes in them, you know, or some other silly thing. You know, you can no more divorce yourself from the body of Christ than you divorce yourself from your children. We were meant to do life together, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so what happens is when you get into a situation where you're rubbing shoulders with somebody and it isn't going particularly well, then go to Jesus and ask him for help because we're committed to one another. Through the thick and the thin, through the ups and the downs, through the good and the bad. Amen? That's what it means to be part of the church. That's what it means to be part of the church. You and I are not the church. We are the church. Let me just say one more thing about this before I move on. The minute you attempt to live your faith in isolation from the community of believers, you're no longer the church. You're an orphan. You're no longer the church. You're an orphan. I don't want to be an orphan. I want to be part of a family. Amen? So the church is the one word. can only be applied with we. The second one is the bride. You know, at the height of the Toronto Blessing, how many went up to Toronto or part of the Toronto Blessing? I, you know, had some great times up there. But one of the things I could never wrap my head around was a group of women that were dressed in military fatigues with a, a, a wedding headdress on. And they called themselves warrior brides. Right? And, uh, and you know, they'd be, they're passionate, they're excited, they're enthusiastic, but they're misinterpreting the Scripture. Because... You're not a warrior bride. We are the warrior bride, right? The metaphor can't be lived out individually. It can only be applied corporately. You are not the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. I'm not the bride of Christ. Thank goodness. I don't think I'd look particularly good in a wedding dress anyway. I'm not the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Amen? And every guy went, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Because the, 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 the application of the metaphor is senseless when it's applied individually. 
In fact, it may not only just be senseless, it may actually be dangerous. Dangerous. It can't be applied individually. You know, I remember, you know, when I was a kid, I, I, I noticed that when I was raised Catholic and I noticed many of the nuns wore wedding rings because they saw themselves as being the bride of Christ, married to God. Wrong. Individually, no. Only corporately, yes. Hello? I've even met well-intentioned women who said that their relationship with Jesus just went so much deeper after they realized the intimacy they could have as the bride of Christ. I'm like, "I, I, I hear what you're saying, but you're not the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ can only be experienced corporately. It can't be experienced individually. And it gets weird when you start applying it individually. Hello? We're not married to Jesus as individual people. You, you don't have, have to get away and have a nice intimate moment that, that, that like, like a, a, a bride and a groom would have. That's just weird. Especially if you're a guy. That's like, woo, really creepy. You know? No. We. Everybody say we. We are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Now, it might surprise you to know that the term bride of Christ isn't even in the Bible. Yes, it is. No, no, it's not. It's not. In Revelation chapter 19 and 21, it talks about a bride being prepared for, but it doesn't actually use that phrase. And even there, the word bride is better translated wife, one who is already committed to God not just one who's, you know, necessarily being made ready. It's, it's the word is better translated, committed. So don't get me wrong. The metaphor is certainly sound, but it's only sound, and it's biblically sound, but it's only sound corporately, not individually. John the Baptist used the analogy of the Christ being the bridegroom. He said, John three twenty nine. it says, He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy is mine and is fulfilled. So he saw himself as being the best man, if you will, to to Christ as he was coming for his bride. But his bride wasn't an individual. Jesus didn't die for only one of us. He died for all of us, right? And the bride, the bride is us together. Paul compares the union between Christ and uh, the church to that of a husband and a wife many times in Scripture. And uh, you can read about those in numerous places, but you know, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love your wives as Christ loves the church. And he even says at the end of that whole discourse in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, this is a great mystery, talking about, you know, a man leaving his father and his mother and being joined to his wife. And then he says, just kind of freaks you out, he said, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. So he makes it very clear, the bride is the church, not an individual. Not an individual. So I am not the bride, we are the bride. And like I said, and when you apply it individually, it is just downright weird. It's just weird. And, and I think it gets people into some really strange doctrinal misdirections because they're misapplying a metaphor that was never meant to be applied individually, only corporately, only we can be the bride. You and I are not the bride of Christ, we are the bride of Christ. Now the last one, the body. It's another fantastic metaphor in the scripture for we, but not me. For we, but not me. Everybody say we, not me. We, not me. Now this one, uh, 
doesn't get misapplied as much as bride or church, uh, but it, more often it doesn't get misapplied, it gets instead ignored. We tend to ignore the fact that uh, the church is a body and that we are a part of it. And, you know, the scripture is filled with references to, uh, you know, the body of Christ. Mark and I were just talking about it earlier. It's, he, he, he uses the theme in Romans. He uses it in Ephesians. He uses it in Corinthians. Paul's constantly referencing the, the, the people of God, the believers, to a body, to a body. And uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 4 says, For as we have many members in one uh, body, but all the members do not have the same function. And then he goes on. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. And it uh, goes on in verse 14. He says, For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And then he has the famous discourse, The foot can't say to the hand, I don't need you, etc., etc., etc. There are certainly many more places in Scripture where we're referred to as the body. And I find it interesting that uh, Paul's very emphatic about the fact that you can't do it alone when he uses the body reference. His metaphor, his greatest metaphor of helping to reinforce that we don't do our Christian faith alone is the body one. Because he deals so often about the interconnectedness of it. And I believe Pastor Mark's going to talk a little bit about that in a couple of weeks from the book of Ephesians. But, but there's, there's an understanding we have to have that we are, we, we are a body and we are all parts of that body. And if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you read Paul's discourse in there from verses 14 to 27, there are some interesting things that you'll get out of that. Listen to, here's some of the bullet points for you because I won't take the time to read all the text. But every believer is an individual part of the body, verse 14. In verses 15 and 19, he says, not every part uh, can be the same as the other. So we're all different. Uh, No one part is more important than another. Then he says that God has set each member in the body as he pleases. So God has designed how you will fit into the body. The members of the body that we think are weaker, Paul says, are even more necessary are even more necessary. And the parts that we think less honorable, we give special honor to. If one member suffers, Paul says, the whole body suffers. How true is that? Think of your physical body. You know, if you're having an ailment in one part of your body, the whole body suffers. Everything is affected by it. You ever notice how, you know, you can have a pebble in your shoe and and your, your whole body life cannot continue to walk down that road. It's just, you can't do anything till you get that pebble out of your shoe and stop affecting your foot. And it's just like a little pebble pushing on a little spot in your foot, but your whole body says, deal with it, right? And and it's so true of the spiritual body. You know, we need to take care of all of the parts of the body. And if one part suffers, we're all suffering. And then he also says, if one part is honored, then we're all honored. And so this is something we need to break. If, 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 if somebody's blessed in the church, if somebody's blessed and somebody's getting honored, then rejoice with them. Don't sit there and don't ever say this. This is one of the phrases you want to eliminate from your vocabulary. Must be nice. Can you just eliminate that from your vocabulary? It has no place in the heart of the believer to say must be nice. When you see somebody else being blessed, say Praise the Lord. 
As my pappy used to say, if you ain't got nothing good to say, don't say nothing at all. So in those instances, maybe silence is golden. If you can't rejoice when somebody else is rejoicing, then be quiet and realize it's your issue, not theirs. And eliminate must be nice from your vocabulary. Don't ever let that come out of your mouth again, right? Unless you're actually joking with somebody that you're really celebrating with, right? You know, because then if it's a joke, fine. But but don't ever say it seriously or I'm going to haunt you in your dreams or something. It's a, I'm going to find a way to get in there and just come after you. Okay, now here's, some, here's four points I want you to consider about the analogy of the body. If a body loses a member, a part, it will likely survive. I want you to think about this. So it'll be hindered, but it'll live. I could lose a finger, but I'm probably still going to be okay. You know what I'm saying? If a member, a part, loses a body, it will not survive. If I lose my finger, my finger don't survive. Even if you put it in a preserving jar of pickle stuff or whatever and on a shelf. It, it, it ceases, yeah, formaldehyde, it ceases to really be a functioning finger. You know what I'm saying? So I might survive without the finger, but the finger doesn't survive without me. And think about that when it comes to your place in the body of Christ. The body of Christ may survive without you, but you won't survive without the body. You need to be tied in. You need to be tied in. It doesn't work the other way. Thirdly, the parts that we think weaker are more necessary. You know, a hand certainly doesn't seem weak. It's got power, strength, dexterity, can do so many things. But you lose a hand, you'll still probably survive. Your liver, you have no idea what it does, but you can't survive without one, right? Just saying. Doesn't seem very strong, doesn't seem very powerful, doesn't seem to do a whole lot. You never even see the thing unless the doctor opens you up and goes, oh, yeah, look, there's your liver. You know what I mean? Like, And yet without one, you're not long for this earth, right? You got to have it. Even though you don't really know what the world it does, you got to have it. You got to have your liver. And finally, God composed the church in such a manner uh, as a body, giving honor to the part that lacks it. And there's a reason why I did that. First of all, so there'd be no division. So that even if a part doesn't seem to get a lot of honor or a lot of attention, if you understand what Paul's talking about, you realize that part's still valuable. So therefore, there's no division because you're not striving to be something that you're not. So it gets rid of division. And finally, so that the members would care for one another. If I realize, uh, you know, Mark might be the hand of, of the staff at Desert Stream because he's, he's got a pastoral ministry, so he loves to reach out and, and he's tactile, right? He's making connection with other people. But he's, he's a hand. And there's others in the body that are, are heart maybe and, and liver, and we, we got to have those people too, right? And so we have to care for one another, not just the hand, but, but for the organs, for all of it. The stuff behind the scenes and the stuff that's out in the front all needs to be taken care of. Because what happens is if we don't take care of what's on the inside, if we're only taking care of what's on the outside, then eventually we become this hollow shell of a thing that lacks compassion, lacks love, lacks faith, lacks hope. Because all we're concerned about is the polish on the outside. And a lot of churches have, are guilty of becoming like that. They've got great programs. They've got great uh, you know, polish and, and nice veneer and everything looks good and everything looks perfect. But inside, inside, what's going on? And if anything we learn, every time there's another, there's another pastor or evangelist or 
some personality that falls, it reminds me that the polish can look good on the outside, but what's going on on the inside, right? And we need to pay attention to what's going on on the inside of the body of Christ. So you and I are not the body. We are the body. Say this, I'm not the body. We are the body. And again, if you call yourself the body, that's just weird. I'm the body of Christ. No, no, frankly, no, you're not, you know. We are the body of Christ. It's weird if you apply it to yourself individually, but it makes incredible sense, and it illustrates so much when we apply it properly. So let me conclude this morning. You and I are not the church. We are the church. You and I are not the church. We are the church. You and I are not the bride. We are the bride. You and I are not the body. We are the body. And only we works. Only we works. And if we neglect we, we will cease to be church, to be bride, and to be body. We will actually neglect three of the most powerful metaphors of the believers in Scripture if we neglect we. So in the immortal words of Sesame Street, today's message was brought to you by the number three and by the words church, bride, and body, but especially the word we, all right? Everybody say we. If there is no we, then there's no church, there's no bride, and there's no body. Now, let me get some final comments here and conclude. And share if you wanted to come on up, this is the time to do it. But um, I want to talk to you today uh, some practical ways in which we do we. Because pandemic or not, we are called to be the we. Amen? And when you put those three words together, church and, and, and uh, bride and body, uh, the final product you end up with is a family. We're a family. Yeah, we're, we're a church, we're a bride, we're a body, but we're a family. And uh, there's a couple scriptures. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, it says in Ephesians 2, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household or the family, if you will, of God. Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And listen to this, and especially to those who are of the household or of the family of faith. A family, a family. When you add body and bride and church together, you get a family. And, and there are some practical things we need to recognize about the family. First of all, the family is always growing. Someone say amen. Got awful quiet when I said that. Is there not a few evangelists in the room like... The family is always growing. The family of God is not stagnant. It's growing. One of the things we do pretty well here at Desert Stream is family. i got to be honest with you. Not, I don't mean just our individually, individual families, but family. It's also one of our weaknesses. Because we, we're so in love with one another and connected to one another, when someone new comes in, they sometimes find it hard to crack the family. I'm not just making this up. I've had people comment to me about it. Now, once they get in, they go, man, there's nothing like the family. They say, man, everybody here has my back. Everybody here cares about me. 
Uh, I feel safe here. I've heard that word so many times describing Desert Stream as a safe place that it, it blows my mind, and I think it's awesome. But one of the negative sides is that sometimes we're so tightly woven together that new people find it hard to break in. And if that's you, and you're here today, or you're watching online, I'm sorry. Um, we need to get better at that. We need to get better at that. We need to get better at making room for more people around the family table. And an ever-increasing number of people around the family table. Hello? should never be restricted to a few. And when someone comes in that door, every person that comes in that door is somebody that Christ loves and died for and wants to have around the family table. And we need to be mindful for it. And I know what happens. We come in on Sunday morning, and we're, we're so excited to talk to somebody. You know, like Pat and Randy came in this morning with their Vancouver jerseys on. Why? Because they just wanted to bless me because the Vancouver swept the Leafs in the last two games. And, and you know, and that's what family does. They just are there to encourage one another like that, you know. And that's fun, and that's what family does, right? But if we can't let anybody else be part of that joke or that conversation, then that's not good, right? And so, but, but it's beautiful because it's family. And, uh, and when the Leafs sweep them next time, I'm going to wear my Leafs jersey just, just to fire the cannonballs back, right? But, but that's family. But the problem is, is that it, there's got to be room, always room for more. Jerry? I was going to say, yeah, and sometimes that means um, you being willing to share your circle and have other people come in. I wanted to share a story uh, when I knew this was what Kevin was talking on. When I was 17, I um, had left home, not due to bad circumstances. In Quebec, you only go to grade 11. So I was off at the age of 17, and I was living in Ottawa in a, an apartment in a house. And uh, that's pretty young. How many know that's pretty young to be on your own? And I was going to post-secondary. Uh, I was doing trade school at the time. And so I would be able to be home for church Sunday morning. But then Sunday nights, I'd be back in Ottawa, and I longed to be with the body. It was a really high value. And to be honest, at 17, I was in a pretty tough situation where I was exposed to a lot of things at uh, this post-secondary setting that I just wasn't familiar with. So I was, I was a pretty scared kid in some ways. So I started going to a church on Sunday night, and it was a... Um, a church that if uh, some of my other peers from my own hometown were going to go to that also had moved to the city, that they would go there. Um, but not a lot seemed to go on Sunday night. So I would go. It was the closest one I could get to. So I took a bus, city transit, and I went to that church Sunday night. And I went week after week, and I had one person approach me and speak to me. Um, now, I'm very thankful that I was not raised in a home where I was raised to be a victim, but I was raised to be solution-oriented, and I'm not putting that as a jab against anybody else. That's just the reality is my mom would just challenge me and say, so well, did you reach out to people? Did you do this? Did you do that? And so I continued to go, and I went for six months, and at the six-month mark, I still remember I got invited out with people, and that was, like, huge so you only had to persevere for six months. Yeah, but you know what? But I was still determined to go because I knew I needed what I could receive in that setting. And I wasn't going just to connect with other people. Uh, 
like on, on the, on a social level, but I knew I needed to connect on a spiritual level. So I persevered. I went, um, but I also came away from that experience determined in my mind that I would not stand by and let anybody else experience that. So I began to actually look at books and how to reach out and talk to people in new settings because I found it awkward. It's awkward to talk initially, uh, unless you're super outgoing like Kev or or Barry or some other people. It can be really challenging to go and approach new people. So I actually looked at many courses in how to approach new people and interact with new people. And I learned to actually love it. It became uh, a passion of mine then. And I love connecting with new people uh, in different settings, like mm-hmm. in a park setting or whatever. So it's so uh, interesting. And you can you can learn. You can overcome. True story. Sherry and I get, uh, I have a, a second cousin who was a scout for, uh, an NHL scout, and he had season's tickets for the Blue Jays because he loved baseball as well. So true story, Sherry and I t- get his tickets for one game, and they were playing the, the Texans, and it was, from a baseball perspective, Peter, it was a terrible game because I think the final score was Toronto 17 and Texas 15. Uh, but, you know, they used to do the fireworks at the back every time you got a home run or whatever. I mean, there was, there was something going on all the time. It was the most, for somebody who's not a baseball fan, it was an exciting game because it was just, it wasn't about the pitching. It was just about all the, the ruckus going on. And so, you know, people are standing up and cheering and shouting and everything else, and it's crazy. And I look over, and as God is my witness, we're sitting like three rows up from the Jays' dugout. Like, we have prime seats, and Sherry's not paying any attention to the game at all. She's talking to the lady beside her. So she found out everything about her life, what was going on, where she was going, what was taking place, because those books paid off. She knew how to engage with the people around her. I was oblivious to who was sitting beside me. I was watching the game and having a hoot. No, she's just sharing with the lady beside her, right engrossed in conversation. And, you know, we need to be mindful of the people around us. Amen? Um, a couple other things before I close. Uh, the other thing is uh, let everybody be the part of the body they're called to be. Okay? In other words, don't judge one another, right? Um, Yes, we all need to be inclusive and bringing in more people and encouraging people and all the rest of it, but but lay off of layering your opinions or your ideas or your understanding of church over other people. Let people be who they're called to be, right? Right? And, and that's a really helpful one because it keeps us from being critical, especially of your pastors. All of them. I'm going to take one here for the team. I'll stand up here and talk about this. But, but you know, don't expect Barry to be like Mark or Mark to be like Mark or either or any of them to be like me. And, and, you know, and understand that we're people too, right? I know some of you are like, you know, do you know that, that the pastor hasn't called me all year? Well, you know, um, you're probably right. Uh, for starters, I hate talking on a telephone. The pandemic has stretched me because my main communication tool is a telephone, and I hate it. I love talking to people one-on-one. Can't stand talking on a telephone. Uh, you can ask anybody. I mean, it's not, it ain't my principal outreach tool, let me tell you. Don't like it. Don't like it. And, and you know, and yet sometimes it's like people get so critical of, of their leaders. And their leaders are people too. And you know what? And, and even your leaders are allowed to have friends. And, and you say, well, does that mean I can be their friend? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. 
may not, you may not all be Pastor Mark's friend. You know, he may have some people that he hangs around with more than others. Why is he, is he allowed to do that? Yes, because he's a human being too. I'm just trying to be practical with you. And so we do our best to try and connect everybody, but we can't do it if you aren't connecting with each other. That's how we become the body. And as pastors, we can't, if, if we're going to make all the connections, the church will never grow because we are incapable of making all those connections, all right? So, so don't judge one another. And the final thing I want to say today about this, okay, is pray for one another. Because the Bible says when one part, remember it said when one part's suffering, we're all suffering. And when one rejoices, we all rejoice. So how, what, what does that say to me? That says pray for one another. Bathe one another in prayer and celebrate with one another. Can you do that today? So when you see a brother or sister that you know is going through a hard time, you know, just send them a text that we're praying for you today and then actually do it. Like, don't just send the text and not pray, but actually pray, right? I know it can be an automated text. Yeah, praying for you. No, 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 actually do it. And, and, and when you see somebody on a Sunday morning, they just pour out their heart to you about all they're going through. Don't say, well, we'll pray for you. No, no, no. Say, do you mind if I pray for you right now? It's, it's powerful. It can shift everything. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to bring down the Holy Ghost and shake the timbers of the building. You don't have to, you don't have to be Barry Miracle. You can just pray. You can just pray. You can just say, Father, I just ask for so-and-so that you would bless them, that you'd help them through this situation. Just, just pray simple prayer. Because it's the fact that you're willing to do it that makes all the difference in the world. I'm just trying to be practical here today as we wrap this thing up. So we are not the church. I mean, I am not the church. We are the church. I'm not the bride. We are the bride. I'm not the body. We are the bride. And together we're family. Let's make that family big and broad for everybody. Let's not judge one another in the family, and let's pray for one another. Amen? Let's stand together this morning. Hallelujah. Whew. I, I just wanted to add one tiny bit. I wanted to do a thank you uh, to all the people who've helped with doing meals um, for people that have been sick. Amen. Or uh, we just had a new baby recently. The Schneider family from uh, the military base had a baby. And we've had seven people sign up to take meals in. Awesome. We've got more babies coming. Um, you know, and I've just been handed gifts for a, a, a someone who just had a new grandbaby in the church. Amen. Church family. So we can do family. we got to get creative. Mm-hmm. We can still do the family and connect and enlarge our circle and our hearts. Amen. None of what I preached about today is stopped by a pandemic. None of it. None of it. This part of the body, this expression here, yeah, it's, it's hindered a bit because of limitations on gathering. But everything we talked about today, none of it can be stopped by a pandemic or a government response to a pandemic. We are still the family of God. Amen? Father, we just thank you today that we, we are the church. We are the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are a family. And Father, together as a family, Lord, we just ask for you to help us to do everything that in uh, our individual power to, Lord, lift up the family of God, to advance the family of God, to make room in the family of God, not to judge one another in the family of God, and to pray for one another in the family of God. So that, Lord, your family, in, the pres- in your presence in the earth, expressed through your family, 
increases and increases and increases and increases until it fills the whole earth. Father, we thank you for the privilege today. We give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.